Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. On this 13th of July, if you missed the first hour of the program, we'd invite you to go get it at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app where it will be posted shortly. Um, appreciate you being with us uh, here this morning. I was reading a headline uh, this morning out of the uh, out of the Washington Post, and it's it's an issue. It's a concern that um, that I addressed a couple of weeks ago. And we are going to continue confronting um, around the world. And it is the worsening state of poor people in countries around the world in relationship to food insecurity and um, famine. Like we are now facing famine levels of um, food scarcity in many, many places around the world. So the United Nations on Monday released some new numbers, new data, um, measuring the access that people have to the most basic of, uh, of human necessities, that, w- that being food. And that data shows that hunger around the globe um, shot up by an estimated 118 million people worldwide in the year 2020. And we're already halfway through 2021. And so these numbers have risen even more dramatically in 2021, but we don't have, you know, confirmed data from every country around the world. And so you don't get the numbers until, you know, a year later or six months later. So we now have, well, at the end of 2020, we had 768 million people around the globe um, who were not only food insecure, but in what was what is regarded by the United Nations as in at risk of starvation. So the number of people living with food insecurity, those forced to compromise um, on how much food they have or who in their family they feed, um, surged to 2.38 billion people worldwide in 2020. And again, the U.N. is telling us and we are making observations by uh ministry partners around the world, these numbers have ballooned again in 2021. Hunger is real. um, Starvation is real. Famine is real. um, And we have a biblical perspective on those things. We also recognize that, you know, God supplies. uh, The question is whether or not we share and distribute in such a way. And so much of this is complicated by you know, corrupt governments around the world and the inability of people to access the most basic of uh, of things that they need to not only survive but thrive. And so if you live in North America um, or, you know, frankly, if you live in, in Europe, um, if you have a formal education, if you have any kind of formal employment, um, if you live in a country where there's a social safety net, then you've been cushioned from the blow during uh, the coronavirus pandemic. If you live in any other part of the world, 
which we're talking now about a huge percentage of the global population that do not live in countries where they have any kind of formal employment or a social safety net or any sort of widespread ability to work remotely. Um, They have literally dropped from being people who could feed themselves to being people who cannot even access the most basic of uh, of necessities. And we're talking about um, something that is inching up toward 10% of the global population. So let's... um, Let's be recognizing the need of global ministries around the world that are on the forefront of feeding people. I call this a first-order ministry priority. And, you know, sometimes um, those of us in in ministries that do rely, I mean, we rely here at the Faith Radio Network um, at the University of Northwestern St. Paul in Northwestern Media. We, we rely on the gifts of our listeners to support this ministry. But I also recognize that you know, if there's a first-order ministry out there literally putting food in the mouths of starving people around the world, we want to be advocates of um, of generous giving um, on those fronts as well. All right, Justin Gibbony joins me next from the AND campaign. Uh, he and I are going to have a conversation about um, uh, religious liberty. He's also going to answer this question. How do we move beyond, or how do we move from, let me phrase it this way, how do we move from I'm sorry that terrible thing happened in the past. Two, I'm going to do something about it today. I'm going to ask Justin that question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Justin Gibbony joins me now. You can find him at the AND campaign. Justin, welcome back. Hey, how's it doing? How's it going? Glad to be here. It's it's going well. It's going well. It's always good to talk with you. You have um, you've been on uh, a stepped up speaking in person um, tour. I don't know if it's a tour, but I'm going to call it a tour. <laughs> um, you were at Notre Dame at their Religious Liberty Summit recently, uh, and you also spoke uh, at an event at Duke. Talk with us about some of the things that you've been saying and some of the questions, maybe even new questions that you're hearing from audiences these days. Yeah, well, I'll say this. It feels good to get back uh, and, and be speaking people to people in person rather than just looking into a, a, a camera. So that's that's always good. Uh, one of the main things I've been speaking about is is religious liberty. Um, I've, I've been speaking a lot about where do, does American politics go from here? Uh, and as far as questions, uh, I think the questions uh, are, are very similar. You know, how do we get rid of some of this polarization? How can Christians be faithful in the public square? And so I've just been trying to address those questions uh, to the best of my ability. All right. So let's um, I'm going to tee up a question that I know you are um, always prepared to answer, but I heard you kind of ask it recently. And so I thought I'm just going to ask him the question. How do we move from? I'm sorry that terrible thing happened in the past, to I'm going to do something about it today. Yeah, I think it's a a big decision we have to make, because I I think a lot of times what we'll do is we'll say, okay, whether it be about race issues, whether it be how we've we've treated uh, uh, other marginalized groups, we'll say, man, I do really feel bad about that. Uh, And we'll just kind of leave it there. But I, I think the big thing is, becoming part of institutions, whether it's the church or other or other spaces, and actually doing something to help the people 
uh, that you say that you, you know, that you uh, either lament or, or that you kind of repent for, for things that you've done in the past. So it's really about getting to the work. Uh, it's about finding, it's about having conversations about what uh, that group may need or what they see as their issues and then doing your best, whether it's through resources or really just through the work to help people in that area. Uh, not necessarily taking on what you think the problem is and just doing what you want to do, but actually working hard to 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 restore and to correct some of the things that have gone on in the past. So when we um, when we talk about things that have happened in the past, I you know I just acknowledge that there are there there continues to be this reticence to acknowledge that what happened in the past has real ongoing tangible influence um, in the present. Um, the, the, the can't we get over it? Can't we move beyond it? You know, that's ancient history. Um, it's, it's you and I, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's not ancient history. And the impact and effects of what, hap- what has happened in the past has generational influence and impacts. And so can you just revisit some of those concerns? Yeah, you know, we we like to tell a very clean and um, really almost romantic uh, storyline, especially when it comes to United States history, but also just when it comes to the history of our our people. And I think every culture uh, wants to be able to tell a really good story about who they are and and what they've been through and, and what they've done. So I think that's understandable. But as Christians, we also always have to deal with the truth as well. And part of the truth of the United States is that there have, there were things done, whether it be um, about race or gender, that were terrible. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that we, we do have some exceptional accomplishments, and I don't run away from those accomplishments. I think they're great. But we have some, we have some exceptional transgressions as well. And unfortunately, those transgressions don't end just when we take racism or sexism out of the law. Uh, they linger. Uh, And they're around and it's things that we still have to deal with. So the problem that we run into is that we have these lingering uh, issues. But a lot of times our pride won't allow us to acknowledge that because we think if we say, hey, yeah, America does have these problems and they're lingering, then that means that America isn't a great country or, or exceptional in some ways. And I don't think that's the case. But whether that's the case or not, as Christians, we have to be committed to the truth. The truth has to mean something. And we can't ignore it because it kind of uh, peaks our pride or, or makes us feel a certain way or, or kind of hurts our storyline. So I want to talk um, with you when we come back about the burden of truth and the role of discernment, particularly when we talk about our media consumption. I've listened recently to um, your church politics podcast with Chris Butler, and I thought there were some really key things that we could talk about from that conversation. So when we come back from a very brief break, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign, which you can find at andcampaign.org. He and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, who heads up the AND campaign. You can find it at and, andcampaign.org. 
Um, Justin, let's talk about some of the topics that you and Chris Butler discussed in the Ann Campaign's Church Politics podcast. First of all, I know that it's a few weeks hence, but happy Father's Day. Thank you. Yeah. I loved your reflections um, during the podcast on, you know, being a dad and just how significant that is. So thanks for that. Let's um, you guys talked about turning off the cable news and and then you talked about some alternatives that we could turn to. So let's start with um, defining a term that you guys use that I'm not sure everybody uh, is would even be familiar with. You talk about good media hygiene. So talk about media hygiene. What is that? Yeah, just like anything else or our bodies, we want to be hygienic. We want to make sure that with, uh, what we're taking in um, and what we're consuming is actually healthy for us. And I think sometimes what we do is if we're just watching cable news, whether it be, well, I won't say the names, but if we're just watching cable news, then I don't know that we're getting, we're bringing healthy things into our system. Uh, and, it, and it impacts how we think about politics. It impacts how we interact with others who may be on the other side of the aisle. And so what uh, Chris and I have suggested is that to have good media hygiene, which we didn't create that term, but it's a term that's out there, uh, you would want to go to several different sources. You would want to go to sources that are intellectually honest, even if you don't agree with them. In fact, you would want to go purposefully to sources that you normally don't agree with, but to hear the other side of the conversation. That's good media hygiene. And unfortunately, too often we lean on sources that have ulterior motives and cable news is just not a good place to get your information. There are, there are better sources. So I want to talk about some of those better sources. I also want to remind um, folks who are listening we talk about good media hygiene. Um, we just don't necessarily lose that, use that language. So let me just remind you, um, if you heard the conversation that I had with Brett McCracken about his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, or Jeffrey Bilbro about reading The Times, both of those books are about good media hygiene um, and so how we can clean up our media consumption. So, Justin, um, talk about... Um, well, I liked the way that you uh, that you started the conversation, which was grab your Bible and get your mind right and prepare to think like a Christian. Um, and then you talked about some other sources that we might listen to or turn to. Can you just tease some of those up? People are always looking for, like, you know, where do where do people like Justin Gibney and Carmen turn for media sources? So where do you turn? That's great. I mean. For the folks listening, they, they already get it to some extent because obviously listening to Carmen is, is a, a very good place to start. Um, and then, you know, there are there's some podcasts that are really good for those folks who are into podcasts. You can go to Breaking Points, which is a, a new podcast that really takes a different it takes it takes both parties to task. It's very intellectually honest, uh, has somewhat of a populist lean, but it's very clear on that. Right. It's not like a, a hidden lean that they're pretending is, isn't there. Uh, the Realignment podcast is very good. I also I also read a lot of uh, Damon Linker, who is a, a writer, uh, Ross Douthit. Uh, there are a lot of different people that you can go to. And, and if you listen to the Church Politics podcast, you'll, you'll hear even more. But those are some of the outlets that will give you just a different point of view, that it's not all about this partisan or ideological back and forth. There's something bigger at play, and we need to be thinking a little differently to, to make the changes that will help the people that need it the most. So after listening to um, the Church Politics podcast and listening to your list there, I went and checked out Slow Boring, 
First of all, anybody that would call their Substack slow boring is definitely my kind of person. <laughs> so thank you for yes, turning Matthew me on Yes, Matthew Iglesias is really good, and I'm glad you mentioned that. That's another good one. <laughs> slow boring. Like, that is a great idea. Um, all right. Um, can you uh, can you address with us this issue of um, Christians booing the former vice president, Mike Pence, uh, at the Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference? Because I, I think it's an example of the, the nasty temperature of the public discourse today. Yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, Pence was was giving a speech. And unfortunately, while it was a bunch of people of, of faith in the crowd, he was booed. Uh, and I think it was just an example of the lack of charity, the vitriol that has seeped into Christian politics. Um, and that's not to, you know, this is even somebody who I, I don't necessarily agree with, haven't agreed with on a lot of the decisions he's made or where he stood with uh, with the past president. But I think there's a certain way that we have to approach people. And what we talked about on the podcast is that, number one, booing isn't isn't really it just really isn't an effective way to go about that. But again, it shows a lack of charity. Uh, it 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 it's not the public witness that Christians should want to put out there as our represent as our representation. And so it's just unfortunate that that Christians would take that tact. And I think it almost shows a lack of faith. Like we're so into what's going on in politics and so disappointed or so angry that we lose the joy that should always be visible in who we are and, and what we're about. And and so Christians need to rethink some of the ways that we, we go about engaging uh, politics. Um, we have a listener who is asking us to maybe give um, a little bit more tangible answer to the question of um, what do I do today to, spe- to specifically address um, issues in the past. My answer is going to include this, and then let me see how you respond to this. Um, I think we need a simple, honest assessment of our personal, professional, financial, and community relationships. Like, do my spheres of interaction actually include the the breadth and depth of the kinds of people who are going to inhabit the kingdom of heaven? If I am going to be a kingdom ambassador here and now, then every one of my spheres of interaction should be as diverse as the kingdom of heaven. Um, And so is that a starting point for in terms of just my personal assessment of the question, what can I do now? Yeah, I think that is a good, a very good assessment. I mean, it, you know, it it all kind of depends on what you can do. You know, another good place to start is kind of doing your due diligence and finding organizations that work on these issues, whether it be race issues, whether it be, you know, uh, a number of other issues that work on these uh, issues and do a good job. Do your due due diligence. And if you can give, give. If you can volunteer, then volunteer. Uh, If you are, you know, for instance, are are thinking about race issues, you know, a good place to work there is uh, criminal justice reform or more specifically, uh, we're working on juvenile probation reform, which has a a major impact on a lot of kids in in low income areas and who are who have been underserved. These are ways that you can get involved, but it usually is going to come down to um, advocacy resources and things like that. But a lot of it starts with due diligence and, and having a conversation and listening. Yeah, it's always so good. Um, we always appreciate our conversations with you, Justin. Thank you so much for what you're doing every single day. Thanks for taking the time to visit with us uh, here on the program. We look forward to talking with you again. 
Thanks for having me, Carmen. Take care. Absolutely. That's Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. We've got to take a break for Breakpoint. Conversations about the gospel, but when we use that term, what do we mean by it? Um, and how is our understanding of the gospel influenced by what I will call our social location, um, how we were raised, where we were raised, the cultural context in which we are raised, the nation in which we are raised? David Platt uh, recently asked a provocative question, well, or he made a provocative statement that provokes a provocative question. The statement was this, we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical. Um, I've invited Dr. Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to discuss that question uh, with us today. What, what does it mean for the gospel to be the gospel versus some derivative of it? How do we explore the question when we are the ones swimming in the water? All right. How does a fish analyze the water it's swimming in? Another way of approaching the same question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Many years ago, I spent a week visiting the interior of Brazil with a longtime missionary pilot. Wilbur and Orville had a sturdier aircraft. I could not get comfortable. I kept thinking the plane was going to crash in the jungle and I'd be gobbled up by piranhas. I kept shifting around, looking down, and gripping my seat as if that would help. Finally, the pilot had enough of my squirming. He looked over at me and shouted over the airplane noise, We won't face anything that I can't handle. You might as well trust me to fly the plane. Is God saying the same to you? Examine the truths which sustain your belief in God. Make sure one of them is etched with the words, My God is sovereign. Then be anxious for nothing. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland. Uh, he teaches at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, welcome back, Dr. Strickland. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me again, Cameron. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We are going to talk about the gospel. And so I thought that I would uh, look up the definition. And so I'm going to start with this. Um, Merriam-Webster says that uh, the word gospel has two different definitions, <clears throat> and one is uh, often capitalized, and it says this, the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. I thought that was a pretty excellent definition. Um, gospel also could be one of the first four New Testament books telling about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, it could be an interpretation of the Christian message, which is what we are going to get to here in just a moment. Um, and then there is the adjectival use of the term gospel 
So it would be the way that you would use gospel to describe something, gospel ministry, gospel meeting, gospel music, um, gospel outreach. So let's talk about the gospel. Walter, what is the gospel? <laughs> which, which is a huge question, but it's, it's the good news of God redeeming all things to himself through Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. And that's, that's right. probably the most succinct way I can uh, say it. So say it again. The story of God redeeming all things to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. And, and, that's, so I'm, and that's really, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm making a note of that um, because um, that's not the definition maybe that everybody would use. Right. But it is the most succinct and honest definition if you were to look at Scripture and say, what is the gospel? When we use that term, we mean good news. So what is the good news? And the good news is God is and has and is redeeming all things to himself through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like that is the good news. It it is such good news. And, And I think one thing that we miss often is the story piece. Because and I and I meant to say that intentionally because this good news, this story, this sort of proclamation that we make is of a narrative that has begun but is not finished, and so that's that's a wonderful part. I think we often missed out on how dynamic it is, and how we often get we we get to those who are in Christ participate in that story. Could I ask a gospel question that instead of using? using the inquiry of what is the gospel, could I ask who is the gospel? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's, a, that's an easy question to answer. The, 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 the good news, the person who brings the good news is ultimately Christ. And then we, as those who are little Christs, then proclaim that good news. And insofar as we are proclaiming the good news commensurate with the message of Jesus Christ, we are sort of those who are following in his footsteps. All right. So the reason that I teed this question up for you and I today um, is because our mutual friend, Pastor David Platt, recently said this, we desperately need to explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical. Um, How does a fish swimming in a particular water uh, distinguish such a thing? How do you explore that kind of question? Yeah, you know, and, and I think that he helps us here because he begins this, this statement with we. And so this is not an individual thing. So if, if we're trying to figure out, you know, like, what is the air that we breathe? You know, it's, it's, we're hard pressed to do it by ourselves because you're, ne- you're, you're by nature, you're naturally in that question trying to figure out what don't I know? And so if you're asking yourself, what don't I know or what don't I understand? then you have to do that in a collective. So the, the we there begins to help us to do that. And I think there's a particular way in which that we is uh, sort of constructed, if you will, I, I'm sounding very nerdy right now, is what I'm noting, <laughs> is, is that if that we is comprised of people of all different backgrounds. You know, I've, I, I've been sharpened by people who are of different backgrounds because they have different assumptions than I do that they're tempted to interpret the gospel with. And so uh, while they're not perfect, they see what I'm trying to smuggle into my interpretation of the gospel. Then they see what I'm trying to, then 
Uh, and I see what they're trying to smuggle into the, their interpretation of the gospel. And we actually are more clear on what the message of the gospel is and how to apply it to our lives and how it impacts our daily living. And I think that's really what he's talking about as well. How does this good news of Jesus begin to impact our daily lives? Because there's things that we assume as Americans that we, that we often leave unchecked that the gospel is trying to engage. And then we often, as, especially as we are, because Pastor David Platt has a heart for the nations, taking the gospel to the places where they don't know it. What are we taking with us with the proclamation of the gospel that we assume is a pure proclamation of the gospel, but it really has some Americanisms within it as well? Yeah, I want to be a person who's advancing the gospel always and in all ways. But the gospel I want to be advancing is, you know, that pure, unadulterated version um, that we teed up at the beginning of the conversation. I want to be uh, communicating the, the story of the good news. And I would put, you know, capital T's on those definitive articles. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about nerd, right? I want to be a person that is communicating the story of the good news of God's redemption of all things to himself through the death and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, that's the gospel I want to be advancing always and in all ways. And in order to do that, I have to have others um, helping me see that I'm not adding a bunch of stuff um, to the gospel. And so let's take a brief break. When we come back, Walter, let's let's address the the reality that we're not the first generations of generation of Christians to be challenged in this way. Let's look a little bit at what Paul said um, about the gospel and its sort of gospel competitors, even in his day. Could we do that? Sure thing. All right. So that's up next with Dr. Walter Strickland here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. You can find my guest, Dr. Walter Strickland, at walterstrickland.com. Um, Walter, let's uh, let's continue this conversation about the gospel and, you know, and our social location, how my understanding and advocacy of the gospel is influenced by who raised me, where I was raised, how I grew up, the, the water that I'm swimming in. Um, we're not the first generation of Christians to be challenged to present the gospel in its pure form. Can you can you talk about what was going on in Galatia? Yeah, so uh, I, I just love Paul because he's really trying to help people uh, not just proclaim it, because we, we, we talked about what our proclamation is, that, that story of God redeeming out things to, to himself through Christ Jesus' death and resurrection. But then part of what the gospel is, is not just the entry point into it, but what does the gospel do in us? So this becomes a discipleship question. So as we are being, as we are discipling each other, as we are discipling others, what things does the gospel come to bear on? And so I think that's really where a lot of what Pastor David Platt and even where the Apostle Paul in Galatians, you know, was, was trying to go. Because he was saying, you know, you foolish Galatians is where he ended up sort of arriving. You know, who has bewitched you, he says. You know, uh, haven't you proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord? And then he really just sort of turns and says, 
stop smuggling uh, and sort of syncretistically bringing into the gospel the good news of Christ, this life of being restored in him, you know, in, in the Lord Jesus, stop bringing these other things into it. And so really what Paul was trying to do was to help them see, you know what, while you uh, assent to this good news, there are things in your life that are sort of so common to you all. It's a temptation to sort of assume that it's a part of this message because you all share it in common. And so that, that really kind of gets us to the point where we see, okay, there might be some things uh, in the air that we breathe, in our social location, as you said, Carmen, that we all might, because we share them, just allow them to sort of, you know, get under the door of our faith and we don't really apply the gospel to them as we ought. And I think that's really what Paul is trying to do in Galatians and also what Pastor David Platt is trying to sort of bring us back around to doing now as Americans today. So I remember this goes back um, a few years now, but I remember a conversation that I had with um, Courtney Reisig. She wrote a book called The Accidental Feminist. And um, I, I just remember in talking with her and in reading that book, thinking to myself, People in America don't even recognize that because we're now in this third wave of feminism that you can't you, you can't live in America and escape having a feminist mindset like it's it. And yet we would there would be many among us who would say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a feminist. And yet, you know, what she observes is you can't help but be a feminist because you were raised here and this is the water you've been swimming in. So I think that when we talk about, and I'm using that as an example here because I think that there are so many things that we don't even recognize are true of us because generationally this is where we've lived and who we are and how we function and how we operate. And we have so little honest, so little honest exposure and relationships with people whose backgrounds and social location are fundamentally different than our own. <laughs> Precisely. And it's in those relationships that our assumptions begin, begin to show. And it's, and, I mean, and another one of those, you know, is individualism. We talked about this, I think, before, mm. Cameron. You know, even the way that we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me still, I will follow. You know, um, to, we're, and we're taught to avoid peer pressure because, you know, peer pressure is always, we assume, it's bad. You know, uh, we're, we're, we encourage our kids to be independent thinkers, to stand on their own two feet. All these kinds of things are anathema to our brothers and sisters who are in Japan, you know, because peer pressure is assumed there to be uh, a positive force towards wisdom. Uh, we're not taught to be an independent thinker, and you know, per our brothers and sisters in so in the Far East, but to 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 share in the collective wisdom that's passed down through generations and things like that. So it's very interesting. We see, you know, feminism, yes, individualism, yes, objectivity, uh, our our uh, desire to be so objective, to stand over something, and to sort of biopsy or do a uh, what are those things called when you decide a dissection of an animal? Uh, you know, so we, we stand over the biblical text and want to dissect it as opposed to standing under it, allowing it to form us. We want to stand over it and dissect it. And so there's, there's several things here that we have to uh, take uh, heed unto the gospel, you know, the gospel humility that Christ exhibits in Philippians 2, 
to have that humility as we stand under the text, allowing it to wash over us, as opposed to us just dissecting it as a piece of literature. Uh, and, and, all, and so we, we can go on and on. And there's obviously good things about being an American, too. This is not all bad. But these are just certain things that as we are articulating, proclaiming, and then also helping others live out the gospel as a means of discipleship, we have to be aware of so we're not passing on something that's more American than Christian or something that's Christianity, but in American form. Well, and this would lead us into a conversation about missiology and what we have learned um, over generations and some of the abuses of uh, the gospel going forth into particular people groups and you know and and frankly the attempt by christian missionaries to instead of winning people with the winsome gospel uh of god's good news of redemption instead seeking to change people's cultural identity first um as opposed to letting the gospel do its work in whatever direction, um, you know, God would take that. So I do think that when, I mean, even when we're reading the horrifying headlines out of Canada, when we're talking about, you know, what Native children were subjected to when they were removed from their parents and their communities in order to be put into, um, you know, Catholic residential schools, I, I just think that there are lots of places and spaces where this conversation can be had and the headline news of the day provoke it. And we shouldn't become defensive. Like, we should find a way to be humble enough and hopeful enough and heaven-focused enough um, and concerned about everyone actually hearing and receiving and experiencing the genuinely good news of the real gospel, because that's what transforms. That is ultimately what transforms. Precisely. And and the thing is, is that even so if somebody were to say this in a public space, I mean, which I tweeted this on Saturday, and you know, and, and the response was shocking to me. Uh, it was almost as if people assumed I was anti-American because I was saying this. I'm actually pro-American. <laughs> you know, I am one, you know. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's not to degrade your own sort of culture or context to think this way. It's really to be um, to have our allegiance to Christ be primary. And so and, and the thing is, as, as missionaries were carrying the gospel to different lands, I don't think we ought to not do that. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. But as they were doing that, they just weren't asking these kinds of questions. And so I think if we ask these kinds of questions as we do the work of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth, as the Great Commission commands us, I think we'll actually, you know, by God's grace, avoid some of the sort of uh, very difficult things that uh, the missiological task has brought along with it at times, unfortunately. And so I don't think you know, that, that being a missionary, like this sort of, as people would say, colonization sort of activity is inherent in it. I don't think it has to happen, but I do think that if we're thinking about these kinds of questions, I, I think we'll be better for it. And as we go into environments, as people do get saved who are in indigenous, they actually have something to offer us as well as we are working towards Christ-likeness together. And I think that's a gospel community where you know, our allegiance will be clear that it's to the kingdom of Christ and not to any nation per se, not that nations are bad, but that it's ultimately to our King Jesus. 
All right. And if you haven't read it already, um, Walter covers much of this in his book, For God So Loved the World. It is a blueprint for this kind of kingdom diversity, and it is gospel-centric. Walter, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. God bless. You too. We'll be right back. All right, let's be people who are in the Word of God today before we get out there into the world that God so loves. Let me encourage you, maybe just, you know, reread Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Let's be sure that we are clear, that we are clear on the way the Apostle Paul would have answered the question, what is the gospel? I mean, how would Jesus have answered the question if you had asked him, what, what is the good news? What is the gospel? I mean, you know, he might have just said, well, I am, which would be a curious way to amplify the list um, of I am statements that he makes. Um, so what does that look like? What does it look like? What's the gospel look like um, in you and through your life today? Be a good news person today. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Let's be those people today. Let's bring the real good news of the gospel to bear on the realities of real life. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.